Um, I am really enjoying this series that we're doing, uh, Surprise the World. This is part six, and actually my title for today's message is called, We're on a Mission from God. Um, the purpose of this series is to equip us and to use the tools that we have so that we can be missional people of God, that he, he's called us to be. And that, used to, that term, being a missional person, used to kind of scare me because it's like, I'm not a missionary. I mean, yes, but no. And, and I, this has really broken it down into the practicalities of how to live a missional life with your family, with your neighbors, with your church, with the world, with the people that you encounter. It's such a wonderful and practical way on how to be the people of God with one another within the walls of the church as well as those outside the church. And the real hope is that this is not just another sermon series that we listen to and we go home and we say, yep, that was great, and then move on. But it's rather something that will cause a paradigm shift in our thinking, which will result in a different way that we engage the world and we engage one another. Um, I want to do a quick review. First is that we are a missional people. And as I said, the title of my sermon is We're on a Mission from God. So how many of you people remember the Blues Brothers? Okay, big, big followers. I think I watched it when it first came out, and I haven't watched it since. But that has always stuck with me. So I actually went to Wikipedia because I wanted to see what kind of mission were they on, because I really didn't remember. I know they did a lot of singing, but other than that, I didn't remember. And I was a little bit impressed with the fact that their purpose, their mission from God was to go and to raise money for this orphanage that they had been, uh, that they had been raised in. Um, now, I'm not going to go into all the particulars that they'd been in prison, and they were out, and the police were following them, and all this other stuff. That's a whole other thing. But they had a purpose, and they did have a mission, and it was a good mission, and it was to help this orphanage out. And so we also are on a mission from God. Being missional does not come naturally to us. That's not in our, our nature, per se. Um, I think when the fall took place in the garden, uh, our whole perspective and purpose definitely changed. So we've been reading this book, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People, to help us see where and how we can become missional. All right, so the acronym is BELLS. Who can tell me what B stands for? Just shout it out. Bless. Bless. What's the second one? Eat. Eat. Okay, I see the men really got onto that one. Okay, what's the next one? Learn. Listen. Listen. Next is? Learn. Learn. And what's the last one, the S? Sent. Sent. We are sent. Now, that doesn't mean we're sent you know, across the world, though that may take place. It could just be as we go to the grocery store. And um, at some point you'll hear a story about that, but it probably won't be today. Um, we want to become people who live questionable lives. And I, I just, I love that term because it's uh, so different than what we think of because when we think of somebody who's got a questionable life, we just kind of think something's not right with them. But you know, if we're really walking in the kingdom of God, we are living questionable lives because people will begin to question us about how can you be like that in this moment, in this difficult day, in this difficult situation with these difficult people? How can you be like that? 
Our goal as a missional person is to become a godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous, joyous presence in the lives of others. I'm going to read that again because I think it's pretty powerful and there's a lot of good stuff in it. So our goal as a missional person is to become a godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous presence in the lives of others. That socially adventurous can be a little scary, you know. Um, some of us are not maybe very outgoing people. We might be shy. And even those of us that are considered outgoing, it still does not mean that I'm that adventurous. And the adventure part is stepping out and risking with God and, and listening and looking and seeing what's going on around me and trying to be that person who hears from God in the moment as to what you want me to do in this situation in public. You know, not in the privacy of the church or home, but out in public someplace. That's where the adventure comes in. And in order to do that, we need to develop a new set of rhythms or habits that foster a missional lifestyle and that intrigues others. And that's going to be our focus today. But I've got a couple of um, testimonies. Chris, would you come up? Chris has something that she wants to share. She shared it with me in an email. And um, Lydia, I know you're going to love what she has to say. It's Henry Nowen. Uh, I think you're over here. It's a Henry Nowen thing. And it's just beautiful. We all need to eat and drink to stay alive, but having a meal is more than eating and drinking. It is celebrating the gifts of life we share. A meal together is one of the most intimate and, sac and sacred human events. Around the table, we become vulnerable, filling one another's plates and cups and encouraging one another to eat and drink. Much more happens at a meal than satisfying hunger and quenching thirst. Around the table, we become friends, we become family, friends, community, yes, a body. That is why it's so important to set the table. Flowers, candles, colorful napkins all help us to say to, say to one another, this is a very special time for us. Let's enjoy it. Isn't that beautiful? That is so beautiful, at least from a woman's perspective. I, I, guys may not care about flowers and candles on the table, but you know when you see flowers and candles on the table, it's going to be a special night. It's going to be a special meal. You know, I've always heard... Um, Back in the day when women used to get china as part of their bridal gifts and that kind of thing, you know, they always kind of save it for special occasions. And now it's kind of come to be, why, why are you saving it? I, I don't know about you, but I don't really have that many special occasions. I don't have china either. But if I did, I would use it more often. I would, you know, maybe not every day, but maybe on Friday nights, you know, or a, a special day in the week, but not waiting for a, a particularly special occasion. Every day is special. Every day is a new day and a new gift from God. And um, I had shared with Chris that last week I had a gathering at my house with some women, and I had bought some flowers at the, at the store to put on the table. You know, I'll do it for that. And I paid six bucks, and they were lilies, and they were a beautiful coral color lily, and only one was open. But throughout the week, each one has opened. And you know, it's like day eight, and they're still looking really pretty. Six dollars. Man, that went, that went really far in my mind's eye of benefit of the beauty of the flowers. And I love what he had to say, that it's a time when we get together. And I, I don't know if you've seen the, I don't know if it's on Facebook or if it's a commercial, but it's where 
all these people are going into their own apartments and they're, they're on their phones. And this family decides to shut off their phones. They move the table out into the hallway and they invite people to come and eat with them. And you see this difference. You see this conversation taking place amongst people. And I know our lives are busy. Uh, James and I, it's, it's just basically us. And Abby shows up every now and then. She's 21 and she has her own life. But the other night, all three of us had the opportunity to sit down and have dinner, and it was wonderful to find out what was going on in each one of our lives. And so it is a wonderful time, and, and, and that's one of the challenges that we have in here or one of the habits to develop is eating with one another. I know many of us have gone out to eat here together, maybe after church on Sunday or at another time, and it's just a really special time. There, you don't have the distractions of the TV or or whatever else is going on, you can just sit at the table and focus on one another, enjoy one another's company. All right, Kim and Jeff have a couple of testimonies that they're going to share with us. I think Kim's going to go first, and Jeff is surprised. So, <laughs> surprise the world. I'm surprising Jeff this morning. Or, as Kim may tell the whole, both of them, I don't know. Do, do whatever, you, whatever you want to do. I'll call you up in a minute. Okay. <laughs> like I said, surprise. It's hard to surprise Jeff. He guesses everything. So, um, okay. Uh, this week I uh, did a really big no-no. I got into a uh, into a social discussion or into, into a political discussion on Facebook. <laughs> um, I wrote some views out there, and uh, they were actually opposite of. Uh, the person's uh, uh, views that, that I was writing on, and, and I knew that going in. Um, I was polite, I was nice, um, and I got a few attacks, you know, a few little snips here and there, and uh, the whole while um, uh, that this was going on, I was uh, going back and forth to the hospital um, because Jeff's mom was in the ICU and so we were um, taking care of her this week and, um, and so I, I really wasn't fully engaged in what was what was going on and, and I, would, I would respond when I could um, and I don't usually do that, that that's not me I, I usually watch from a distance and, and see you know what's being said and, and that sort of thing and so, so it was kind of, it was really unusual for me to do that. And um, so, the uh, one of the one of the people in the conversation messaged me on Saturday morning and uh, apologized and said that um, you know they they were sorry for how they had come across in, in the discussion and. Uh, it really opened up a dialogue for both of us to um, just say, you know, things don't really come across that well on on Facebook, and we both know that. And sometimes you can be very passionate about something, and you can you know let your emotions you know go very far. And so um, the best part about it was that you know we agreed that you know everybody we're we're both trying to learn. To dialogue about uh, having differing views on political and social issues these days and learning how to do it in a loving way. We both love Jesus. We both um, love uh, the poor. We both love immigrants. We both, 
you know, have so many things in common. And so we need to, you know, we're working on what we have in common instead of what we, we have in different. And so, so, you know, it could have been, it could have been a very different discussion. Um, you know, when you're talking to somebody who has such a different view, and it could look a whole lot like the world, mm -hmm. but really wanted it to look a whole lot like Jesus. Yeah. So. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Your turn. Come on. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about um, what you saw and what I saw uh, Friday night with the group of that family, um, the grieving family, going to the uh, valley cashier. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. You right. remember that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, what did she you She called me out again. So. <laughs> it's not what it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, but that's what, it, it's what it is, though, because <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, and we're here to speak the truth. You know, actually, because it kind of goes back to my testimony a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the traffic. And I had a few choice words to say about the traffic in Houston, and my wife kind of pointed me in the right direction of, of, uh, you know, blessing, blessing the traffic, traffic and saw God's blessing through that. But, uh, so, yeah, it's along the same lines. We're, we're leaving Methodist and we're going down to the valet. And I mean, there's a crew like going to the valet. And so I'm thinking, 12. about yeah, about 10 or 12 people. And I'm thinking, if we can get ahead of them, I can beat them and get my car first. And I have to wait an hour to get my, my vehicle, you know, because they had to go and grab it because we had valet parked. And, and so I'm going, and and Kim is saying, "Hey, slow down, slow down," and you know, and, and she's grabbing my hand like that. So, so I let a few people get in front of me, but I'm I'm not gonna let anybody else, right? So, got a backpack on, and so I'm getting ready to step in there. She grabs the backpack, she pulls me back, and I'm thinking, "What the?" You know, I looked at her, and I said, "Okay," you know, and she, and she leans up to me, she says, "The the people are crying," and I had no clue. Like, I wasn't watching the expression or, you know, and apparently what was going on with the, the family was, you know, they either got some really, really bad news about a loved one, or they may have lost a loved one, and and they were visibly upset. Yeah, distraught about it, and, um, you know, so when Kim, she, she saw, like, she saw what was going on, and she kind of gave me that jerk back and then when she told me my eyes were open to what was going on and we, we watched these people get in their cars and some people were picking them up and others were getting their cars and and they, as they got in they were just embracing with their family members and just these heavy just grief and sorrow and uh, you you felt that and it's like but I missed it in the moment you know I missed mm -hmm. it thank God for Kim once again who's such a godly person that points those things out to me, but anyways, is that what I was supposed to tell? That was your part. That was my part of it. Okay, okay. good. <laughs> and so, you know, just uh, watching the group of people as, as they were coming, um, you know, there was, there was the group of people walking, and then you see people adding into their group that were on the phone, and, and the women in the group, they were just, they were crying, they were grieving, and um, I could just, I see what's going on, I'm seeing the dynamics, the men are, are holding them close and, and they're crying and um, and they're walking towards the valley. So he, he told you that part, but um, I kept watching the women 
uh, I kept my eye on the women as the men are paying, they're, they're stoic, they're on their phones, they're, they're taking care of the business. And the, the women have their box of tissue and they're, they're visibly distressed. And so at that time, um, I'm sitting there, and I, or I'm standing there with Jeff, and I'm thinking, Lord, do you have something to say to them? Are you wanting me to say something to them? Do you have a message for them? And so I'm, I'm waiting, and I'm listening, and I'm trying to listen. And, and so we're sitting on the bench as, um, you know, he said, the one lady gets into the car with her husband, and they just embrace for a good five minutes or so. And then the husband gets out and goes and hugs and, and um, shakes the hand of, of all the the family members and stuff that are that are standing over in the in the walkway and um, so you, I mean you just you just watch the the family dynamics and and you see what what was going on and, and so there were a couple other um, times where the, those kinds of things happened uh, while we were at the hospital this week there was a there was a gentleman in room 10 across from my mother-in-law she was in room eight and the gentleman, um, he, he was heading to hospice. There was nothing else that they could do for him. And his wife had been up there for a long, long time. And um, the day that I, uh, that, that day that I arrived there, I believe it was Friday when I got there, um, they were wheeling him out to take him up to the 11th floor to wait to go to hospice. And the wife was thanking the doctors and the nurses. And she had, she just had sorrow, mm -hmm. just, all over her, and she was thanking the doctors and the nurses, and um, as they were wheeling uh, him out on his bed, uh, I just felt like I needed to go to her and hug her, but she didn't want it. She, mm -hmm. she refused it, and I offered to walk with her. She didn't want that. I offered to carry her things with, for her. She didn't want, she didn't want that. She was just very closed off to mm -hmm. to to any anything, and so so that that was another mm -hmm. opportunity where, you know, just wanting to I just felt compelled to go to her like to embrace her, but she was just you know to the point where she just didn't she rejected everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Um, I and I think that that will happen. There will be times when we say, "Can I pray for you?" and somebody will not want that. doesn't mean that you can't pray for them. It just means that you're not going to be praying for them right there with, you know, in, in that moment. But, you know, I, I love what, what I'm, I'm a lot like Jeff. I'm, you know, I'm on a mission, but it may not be from God. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I go to the grocery store and I'm, and I'm really focused, you know, on that. And so that's kind of part of this whole series is about setting up a new set of rhythms and habits to foster the missional lifestyle. And so comparing and contrasting, Kim is kind of aware of what's going on around her, and Jeff is, is focused on the task at hand, and, and many of us are like that, and I think that this is where we really have to tap into God and, and just kind of slow down. And even as we leave the house, God, open my eyes today to see the opportunities that you may have for me. And as far as blessing the traffic goes, something came to my mind when you told that story. The blessing is that these people have jobs and that God has blessed people with, with opportunities to work, and that's always a good thing, even though it's an inconvenience.
and I complain about the traffic between Lake Jackson and Houston all the time. All right, so I think everyone would agree here that changing our habits is hard, no matter what it is. If you're trying to stop smoking, if you want to lose weight, if you want to exercise, change does not come easy. And um, I'd like to give an example. Bill, you know, is a pilot. He has a pilot's license. However, he's been grounded ever since he had his heart attack a few years ago. And um, just because you have a license doesn't mean the FAA is going to let you fly. They will not allow you to fly. So in order for him to, to be able to fly again, he's got to pass a specific medical uh, physical, um, which is required by the FAA now. And if you look at Bill, he looks like he's a pretty healthy guy. You know, he's not, he doesn't appear to be overweight or anything like that. But he has realized that in order for him to stand a better chance in passing that physical, he needs to change his diet. And so I know for at least the last three months or so, he's done that. He has, uh, he's, and he's lost a little bit of weight, though that's not necessarily his purpose. His purpose is to become more healthy. And um, so he has a goal in front of him and that, that motivates him, and that is to get his ability, the, the okay from the FAA to fly again. And so we need that motivation. We need that um, something that, that's going to help us to stay the course as we do this. Last week, Bill talked about us being a people of joy, hope, love, and great expectation. And I think that if we start with that great expectation, as we leave the house in the morning, God, what adventure do you have for me today? I think that that will help us to open our eyes to the opportunities that are out there. And, and just like everything else, we get busy. Okay, I said that when I left the house, but now I'm at the store and I'm trying to get this thing on the top shelf that I can't reach. And my focus has completely shifted from whatever great expectation there might be to getting the task done at hand. But it's a process and it's the beginning of the process. And I think that as we practice it more, it will become more real to us. And, you know, we can fake things for a while. We can fake being a people of joy or love or hope or great expectation. But after a while, it, it, begins, to, um, it, it begins to kind of wane. And our desire really is to have God transform us into actually being that person. We don't want to fake those things. We want to be real. We want to be genuine. People can kind of um, snip, what's the word am I trying to say? Sniff it out. If you're not real and if you're not genuine, that they'll be able to tell. So we want to be genuine. Who wants to be fake anyway? I don't, I don't want to be fake. I'd really want for God's transformation to, to come into my life. And, you know, our natural responses are not usually godly responses. And I want that to change. I want God's responses to become more natural to us. You know, and Bill gave the story last week about the person that he had received a text from, that they had blown it, and, um, uh, and they were pretty harsh in, in what they said to, uh, in their text to this other person, and even though it was the truth. But in their heart, they knew they had blown an opportunity to speak God's truth to that, uh, God's truth, not her truth or his truth, but God's truth into that person's life. And somehow we, we seem to justify speaking the truth as a way of getting around being um, kind, okay? We, we use it as an excuse to speak harshly into someone's life. I know, uh, I know somebody that does that. Well, I'm just speaking the truth. And it's like, well, you know, maybe you can speak it a little bit differently. And that's what I love when um, some of us were doing a, a studying a series with Henry Nowen and 
reading the letters that he wrote to people were just, it was just amazing the way he could take a question and he might not really even answer it directly, but he could, he, the way he worded it, he was so compassionate and so full of love and grace. And that's the way that we want to be with others is to be full of love and full of grace. And so what was exciting about that whole exchange was the fact that Bill was an encouragement to this person and they were able to redeem the apparent truth that they had spoke by speaking even an even greater truth into that person's life. And that is how gracious God is, redeeming those moments that we screw up. Um, it almost makes worth screwing up, you know. But the goal is to maybe not screw up so much, you know, and, and, and it becomes more of a habit, more of a rhythm. And um, so in, instead of that person who had sent that harsh text beating themselves up all week and saying, man, I'm such a failure, you know, I can't even do this right, which I don't know if that's what they would have done or not, but I know that's what I would have done. Instead, God was able to redeem that, and that person, both people, it was a win-win situation. They both won in, in, in that the God's grace and God's mercy and God's encouragement was, was then spoken. And um, I think that that was really merciful of God. And, and he was able to, God was able to diffuse that situation through speaking godly things into that person's life, the good things of him, and turn it into a God encounter for both people. So I would say that that was a mission from God. And most likely, the next time this opportunity avails itself, that person will remember to pull from God's truth and not their feelings of frustration. And the same will happen for us. The more we tap into this and the more we do it, the more we'll start pulling from the right things. Uh, years ago, I keep thinking of this sermon that Bill taught, uh, gave us, gosh, it's years ago. He's talking about um, arrows in a, in, in a quiver and pulling, are you pulling the right arrows? Are you pulling the ones from over here? Or are you pulling from the ones over here that are going to do damage? Are you pulling the harsh words and the ugliness? Are you pulling God's love and God's truth? So you have a choice of what you want to pull from. And hopefully we begin to pull from the better places of God. And, um, you know, we all have difficult people in our life. We've had, uh, whether they're family members or they're co-workers, or it could just be the car in front of you that cuts you off. Um, we've all had difficult situations and difficult people. Um, you know, and I would say that a person is a difficult person is someone that causes us much frustration and consternation. Um, it's someone we struggle with and with whom we verbally and mentally argue over and over. We continue to have the mental conversations way after the physical conversation is over with, and we kind of become consumed by it. And so the question is, how do we react and respond to this thorn in our side? You know, I wished I had known these things 33 years ago when I had, uh, I worked with a, a, a person uh, out at BASF, and this, I, this coworker and I were always at odds with each other. And I had good, valid, legitimate reasons not to like this person. We worked in the same department, and I wasn't alone in my feelings about them. Uh, other people in the department felt the same way. And I prayed about the situation often, but it never seemed to to take on a real genuine transformation in my feelings for them and especially not in communicating with them. We pretty much just got to a place where we tolerated one another uh, at best and ignored one another at worst. And so if I had known the things that I'm learning now, I have no doubt that it would have had a really profound impact on both of us 
So those of you out here who are in your 20s, listen now. Learn now. You know, I was about 24, 25 when this was going on, and I'm 60 now. And I wished I had known that then. I, I knew enough to pray about it. And I knew enough to know that the feelings that I was feeling was not right. And I knew that God loved this person. But I just, no matter how hard I tried, couldn't get over that hump. And I think that knowing and understanding really now, not only who I am in God, but who this person is in God too, would have made a big difference. So if we see that our mission is to bless others, and we believe that we are joining God in this mission, then success will require that we pull from God's resources because we already know that we don't have those resources in our own capabilities. So we have to reach outside our abilities for something beyond the circumstances in the moment. So how do we do that? What's the practicalities of that? Well, first we have to recognize that this person, this irritation, is created in God's image with great qualities and a great purpose. Um, there was somebody that was in our family that I used to struggle with, and I was praying about this person and for this person, and God gave me this image of a pearl. And I realized that a pearl is created from an irritant. And, um, it, and actually, what I actually looked this up, and what it says is that natural pearls form when an irritant, which is usually a parasite, not the proverbial grain of sand, works its way into an oyster, mussel, or clam. As a defense mechanism, a fluid is used to coat the irritant. Layer upon layer of this coating is deposited until a lustrous pearl is formed. So... What happened is, I, as I began to think about this person and pray for this person, their nickname became Pearl to me, okay? A reminder that they will not always be an irritant. They will not always be a parasite that sucks the energy and the life out of you. But that God, and, and, and in God's creating, creation of this, he is coating that Pearl in them, but he's also coating me. So God's really creating two, a strand of Pearls, Okay, both of us, and, and how to deal with it. And so I, I really am thankful for that because, I, and that was a long time ago that God showed me that. And um, I, I remember where I was sitting when God revealed that to me. So we need to recognize that this person is not just an irritant, but they are a pearl in the making. And, you know, the Holy Spirit really is our defense mechanism against these irritants. And he helps us to realize that the irritant was created in God's image as well. And what's beautiful about this is it changes both the pearl and the irritant, as I've already said. God can create beauty out of irritation. So the next thing we need to recognize is that he is at work right now in this moment in their life and also in ours. And we, we, we have a tendency to forget that. When in the heat of the moment, when the exchange is taking place, it's difficult to step back. But I think what happens is that gradually we begin to see this and we begin to take notice. And maybe after the fact, just like the person who sent that text, afterwards they're beating themselves off on it. But they recognized it. Maybe before they might not have even recognized it. So I think step one is kind of to help to recognize that, okay, I, I messed up on that, that particular one. But I know there's going to be other opportunities. God, help me to recognize it at the very beginning 
not at the end when, when maybe the damage has been done. And we need to reach for a different road or a different path. You know, there, there's, they, they talk about the why in the road, okay? And when you're, when you're having a difficult relationship with someone or a difficult conversation and things have maybe gotten out of hand, you, we know what the obvious is. The obvious is confrontation and uh, overreaction and people's feelings get hurt and maybe voices get loud. But God wants us to take the road less taken. And he wants that to now become the road that we take more often than this other road. The road where we step back and we, we contemplate our words. And maybe we don't speak in the moment. Maybe we just ponder and say, you know, I don't really want to say anything right now because I need to gather my thoughts together. Let me, let me think on that and get back with you. And take the time to um, mull it over and take it before the Lord. And then maybe you can go back to that person and say, okay, this is where we left off and this is what I feel, you know, or how I feel and why I feel this way. And um, it won't come easily at first. Our habits are set to be argumentative and confrontational and defensive. That's just our hum humanity in us. But when we do it right, they're going to be caught off guard in a positive way. They will leave with a feeling of uh, hopefulness in themselves and towards you. And you will feel that you've done God's bidding in this situation. So it's a win-win. Mission accomplished in that particular situation. You know, these moments are not beneficial just for the difficult person. But they are beneficial for you and I as well. They, they stretch us and they cause us to grow. As you lead in a new direction, your own feelings and your emotions are going to be transformed. They're going to look like Jesus. And there's a lot of transformation taking place in these exchanges. You, because you've reached for a different path to take than the usual one. And the other person, because the unexpected blessing and encouragement that they received from you when they expected something else. Don't concern yourself with overselling the good in people that we see as constant strugglers. You know, we see people, there are people in our lives that just struggle constantly, whatever their issue is. You know, God is never afraid to overlove anyone. And he's never afraid to oversell who their identity is in him. He doesn't withhold from them, but he loves them. And so we don't need to withhold our love and our acceptance towards these people either. So if God doesn't withhold it from us, why do, what makes us think that we have a right to withhold it from others? We need to be lavish in our love and our praise and our compliments. And I realized probably, I don't know if it was last week, I think it may have been last week after Bill's message, because he, he touched on this a little bit. I realized I had actually been doing that with someone. Um, it's somebody that, that's in our family that I feel, you know, they think they're the best at everything that they do, and... It, it just seems like they're, they're really puffed up and very proud, prideful and, and this type of thing. And so, you know, I withhold. I mean, I don't want to encourage that because that's just going to encourage more pride. Well, God showed me that's not my job. My job is not to push, to put them down or to withhold from them. If they are doing good things, if they are, if, you, if I see transformation in their life, I need to speak that to them. I need to speak God's love and purpose and meaning into them. 
And I will let God take care of what other, whatever other issues are in that person's life. I'm not the one that needs to withhold that praise or, that, um, or the compliment. I need to be more lavish in giving that. And who knows, that might really change that person as well as myself. And then last week, Jeff talked about a difficult moment in his life and in the life of his family. And it's, you know, it was the ability for Jeff to be able to see beyond this young man as a man who killed his brother and another man and to see him as one who was loved by God. Jeff was not able to do that in his own strength, but he was able to pull from God's strength in that moment. He was able to see this man as one who had made a very serious mistake of drinking and driving, which resulted in killing two people. And as a man loved by God, and, and both of these, you know, this, this man himself who actually caused the accident, he is someone who is loved by God. And he is created for a greater purpose than what had transpired. Yes, it was a tragic what happened, but the forgiveness of God can move someone forward and not be stuck in self-condemnation. Jeff was wanting to release this young man from a mental, emotional, and spiritual prison by extending God's forgiveness to him. You know, he was going to be in a physical prison, but he didn't have to live in a prison of condemnation all the rest of his life. Jesus doesn't condemn us. It's like the woman caught in adultery, you know, and, and Jesus said, you know, I don't condemn you, you know. And, and everybody here who was going to condemn you, they have left. So go and sin no more. I think it's the same thing, that forgiveness is, is extremely powerful when it is given and unexpectedly given, I would say. So I think God was, uh, that Jeff was joining God's mission of forgiveness and possible redemption in the life of that man. He chose a different road in his victim impact speech. It wasn't a Jeff thing, it was a God thing. But Jeff allowed God to use him in that moment to deliver God's message of forgiveness. And we have to do that as well. We need to make room for and allow God in the moment to do and be something different. That's the place that I want to live. You know, the scripture says in Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. And that's the way we want to be. We want to, we want to breathe in the life of God so that we can breathe it out to others. But, you know, we're not able to be sometimes that person in difficult moments if we are not being a people that's full of joy and hope and love. We will be empty when those difficult moments arise and we won't be prepared you know, the scripture tells us that it was because of joy that Jesus was able to endure the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, that you may not grow weary and lose heart, he's speaking to us. We need to consider Jesus. Think about him. Remember him. Imitate him. Be like him. He is our example. And as we consider him, 
We will be encouraged and we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart in doing the things that God's called us to do. Whatever the situation, it's not impossible. And no matter how it may appear to us, we can still have joy because he is our example. If we allow our difficult moments to consume us, we will grow weary and lose heart. I can remember, and some of you may know or may not know, but James and I have been married almost 34, 35 years. It's been so long now, I can't keep up. But I had a life before that, and I was married to somebody else. And um, we were married for three years, and they, uh, it was very difficult. It was a, it was a difficult divorce. And I'm not going to go into the details other than to say that it consumed me day in and day out for many, for many years. And um, it, was, it wasn't until after James and I were married, and I remember right where I was. I was in front of Brazosport High School, and I was praying, and God just released me from the anger and the bitterness. And um, that was just a miracle from God to be able to do that because I had a lot, because I constantly went over everything in my head. We have to quit doing that. We have to quit reliving those situations over and over. They will keep us imprisoned. They will get our focus off of God and onto the hurt and onto the anger and onto the frustration. And that's not where we need to be. Our mind needs to be above that and be on Christ. And our mind needs to be with him and not on our circumstances. Because, again, we will be consumed by that. And that's not good for anybody. And it keeps us from growing. So do not allow your difficult moments or your difficult memories to consume you because you will grow weary and you will lose heart. So how do we become a person of joy, hope, and love in these difficult moments? Well, first we have to realize and reaffirm that God is in control of the situation. What he is trying to do, what is he trying to do here? And I think that was what Kim was trying to figure out. God, what are you doing here? You know, is there anything that you want me to say to this family? And even though she didn't say anything to them, she was asking the right questions. She was in the moment trying to seek what the father might have for her to do. So we have to take a step back and we have to say, okay, God, what are you doing here? I know it's something. And so we shift our dynamics as well as our perspective. It stops the questions and the doubts of the moment. Don't let those take control. Don't be consumed with the whys of the situation. Why did you let this happen, God? Why, why did this have to take place in my life? And, and instead of the whys, because, you know, we may never know that answer, but we trust in and rely on the fact that God has got our best purposes at hand, even though at the moment it may not seem like it. We trust in him, and he comes through for us. And we lay those things down because those things can become an idol in our life where we become so consumed with them that there is no room for anything else but that, um, that anger or that bitterness, and that does become an idol. And we lay those aside, and we say, God, I just want your thoughts about the situation. And at the moment, I just want to stop thinking about the situation and just think on you. And then you reaffirm your identity in Christ. If you forget who you are in Christ, it's easy to be sidetracked by our circumstances and especially when they are challenging circumstances. And it's crucial, crucial to know who you are. So let me tell you who you are. So you'll remember. You are beloved. You are God's beloved. 
He pursues you with an everlasting love. He will never leave you or forsake you. You are not alone in this situation. You are never alone and you are never forgotten. That's who you are. And guess what? That's who they are too. God loves them as well. He pursues them. He will never leave them. They are not alone. They just may not realize it. And we are there to help them to know that. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. There's going to be, my trial is going to be different from your trial. So there's going to be lots of different trials and tribulations. You know, some things that some people go through and you listen to them and you're thinking, what is your issue? I mean, that's not a big deal. But it is to them, okay? And, it, you know, and then you could be going through something and they're like, well, that's easy. You just got to do X, Y, and Z. So we face a lot of different trials and we don't discount anything that anyone's going through. But to have pure joy when we're facing these trials, why? Why do we need that? Well, the rest of the scripture says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what James is telling us is in the scripture is that in order to become mature in Christ, we will face trials and difficulties, but we must allow joy to be the center of our being. Our difficulties are not arbitrary. They serve a purpose. They teach us, number one, that God's in control. And number two, we trust in him for all things. And number three, our perseverance through those trials helps to develop us into maturity. And when we see this in us taking place, we be, then become people with questionable lives. We stay calm in the midst of the storm. We will not be tossed to and fro by our circumstances and our emotions. And that's what I want. I, and I think that that's what you want too. And that's how I want to live. I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to have joy in the midst of difficulties. But you know who's going to notice first if this is really taking place in your life? It's going to be your family. Family knows everything. They know all your dirty laundry. They know what ticks you off. They see you get upset. Whatever it is, it's our family. I mean, I can, I can kind of, you know, get away with stuff here with you guys because you don't see me day in and out. But James sees me every day. And, and he, I'm not allowing him to come up here and say anything. But just, no, I admit that uh, I want to be different. And I want him to be able to see those differences in me and my children. Because I think that when your family begins to see a change and a transformation, the world will also be able to see it because it will be real, it will be genuine. So, I guarantee you that we will have many opportunities to have joy in the midst of our circumstances. If we don't get it right the first time, we'll get, we have another time and another time and another time and God will build on those in our life until at some point we have mastered it, if you will. The, you know, I had Dylan come up a few weeks ago and ask him how he, you know, how did he learn to play all his different instruments? Did it just happen overnight? No, he had to practice it. Well, we have to practice these things too. 
We, when we're in the grocery store and mayhem is around us, instead of being so focused on what's going on, if the lady behind me has a kid that's, that's crying or screaming or difficult or whatever, see if I can be of some help. See if I can be a blessing to her. See if I can be a blessing to the person at the checkout counter, you know, who's had a rough day, who's been there for eight hours on their feet and listening to people complain about the price of groceries or whatever it is. And so we will have many opportunities to grow and to learn. So tap into those. So we want to implement these truths in our lives. And when we do, we will succeed in living out our identity in Christ and become people with questionable lives. <laughs>